Well, good evening. It's good to see you, church. It's good to come and, and to exalt or, or to explore Christ with you. And so I'm, I'm honored to be here with you tonight. Um, we're, we're now continuing on in through our Exiles series. And now we've made it out of chapter one, and we are in chapter two. Now, if you were here during our core value series, I preached on right relationships, and that was out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So we're not going to re-preach those. Uh, we're going to preach uh, chapter, verse 4 through 10 tonight. Um, and so as we recap uh, of what we covered when we talked about right relationships in verses 1 through 3, so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, in verses 1 through 3, we covered that uh, in order to have right relationships, we have to put away toxic behaviors. And, and one of those things is that it said, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so it said to Peter, encourage the church that if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, which we understood meant if indeed you have been saved, if indeed you've put your faith in Jesus and turned away from your sin, then you needed to put away all these toxic and and uh, harmful behaviors that would cause distrust and disunity among the church. And, and so it's essential that if we believe in Christ, we must get rid of the things that destroy trust and community because community and trust is essential for our own healthy walk with Christ. It's essential for a healthy church, and it's essential for a healthy evangelistic platform. And so that's our summary of verses 1 through 3. Um, and, and so tonight we're going to be in verses 4 through 10. And before we dive into that, um, I just want to remind you that if, if you don't have a Bible, um, if you forgot your Bible, great, we have some on the inside rows. Um, if you do not have a Bible and you would like one, that's our gift to you. Uh, we believe fully in the Word of God and we want you to be able to have a copy of God's Word if indeed you need one. Uh, and again, we have the scriptures on the screen. And so join me as we read through verses 4 through 10, and then we're going to go back through and walk through it uh, and teach through it together. So join me in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Verse 7, so honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word, they were destined for this. Verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. 
as we begin, Peter starts out and he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men or rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Peter makes clear is that the church is a spiritual house and a priesthood of believers, right? And, and it, first things first, it says, as you come to him. Now, we as Americans, and I do this as well, in Western culture, we think very individualistically. And so when I read this passage, even as I was preparing the sermon this week, I was reminded I mean, I, I pre started preparing last week. That made it sound like I started preparing the sermon two days ago. No, we started a little before that, okay? It's more than a day's work. Um, but it says, as you come to him, and as I read that, I immediately defaulted to as Tyler Martin comes to Christ again and again. But, but I was reminded that that's a plural word. We, we don't see that in English because it says you. But, but in some original language, you can see that's plural. He's saying, as you all, remember that Peter's writing to a collection of believers spread out through an entire continent. And so he's writing to separate churches, but collective bodies all together. And so he says, as you, and, and so we have to fight to remind ourselves because of our cultural blinders that we can't interpret everything individually, okay? It, for an example, Christ is not coming back for you or for me individually. Christ is coming back, it's very clear in Scripture, He's coming back for His singular bride, which is a singular bride, but it's a collection of believers. And so everyone who is in Christ makes up one singular bride of Christ, whom Christ is coming back to receive. And so we, we have to fight our individualistic ideas and, and, and our default understandings of Scripture. Um, of course, we are members of this body, of this individual body, and we do have individual responsibilities, but our personal life responsibilities must be seen in light of our community responsibilities as a church. So as we collectively come to Christ, who are we coming to? We are coming to a living stone. What's, what's powerful about Christ is that He is alive. He's not a dead stone. It, the, Peter is very clear. As you, as the church comes to Christ, you're coming to a living God. If you're reading through our Bible fluency plan, uh, just our church Bible reading plan, we finished the book of 1 Corinthians this week. And 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. And, and, and uh, Paul writes and he says, if Christ is not alive today, if Christ did not resurrect from the grave, then Christians above all people are most to be pitied. Meaning that if there's anyone who you should feel sorry for in the world, it's Christians if Christ did not resurrect. Because if Christ didn't resurrect, we are dead in our sins and we have no hope of redemption. But Christ did conquer the grave. And so, so Peter tells us, he affirms this church that's suffering and struggling, and he says, you are coming to a living stone. We're going to get to the, the importance of stone uh, in, in just a few verses, but right out of the gate, the church is a spiritual 
house and a priesthood of believers. So he says, you church, as you are coming to him again and again, again, it, it's hard to see that in our English translations. It's, it's not like it's wrong, but the depth of it is that come is talking about coming again and again, over and over without end. And so as we consistently come to Christ, uh, when, when we come to Christ together as a church gathered on Wednesday nights, when we come together as a church at our members' meetings, when we come together as a church on our outreach events, when we come together as a church, we're coming to a living God. And what is that achieving for us? It is achieving for us that we are being made into a spiritual home. Now, who lives in this home? A holy priesthood of believers. Now you may say, whoa, 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 chill out, chill out, Tyler. I didn't sign up to be a priest, okay? I don't look good in a white collar, okay? I'm not talking about a priest in the Catholic sense, but in a very real biblical sense, you did sign up to be a priest because when Christ saved you, in a very real, biblically clear sense, everyone who has turned away from their sins and placed their faith in Jesus, the Bible then says you have been made a priest. Well, that might sound weird to us, right, because we're related, but what does a priest do? Well, as we explain that and elaborate that, um, you offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Literally, I'm glad you asked the question because the, the back half of the verse answers it. It says you are a spiritual house and you're being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think it's really helpful for us to remember who were the original priests and what do they do. So priests in the Old Testament, which was all of the books before Jesus uh, came to earth, um, they served in a singular temple. And, and the Jews would come to that temple to offer sacrifices to worship God. Um, the priests were the mediators between God and man. If you wanted to worship God, you had to go through a priest. And these priests would take that sacrifice on behalf of your worship to the Lord, right? So the priest mediates our relationship um, between God and man. Now, Christ comes. That's Old Testament sacrificial system. Christ comes, Christ dies, Christ is resurrected. What took place is that Christ became our mediator between God and man. He is the temple of God, okay? He is the, let, let me back up, I got out of order. I, I started from the back and Christ came as the sacrificial lamb for the sacrifice, okay? Christ died as the sacrificial lamb. When Christ resurrected, Christ became our mediator between God and man. As the sacrificial lamb and the one who conquers the grave, he proves that he is God, and so therefore he is the temple. The temple represented the presence of God, and so Christ is our lamb, he is our mediator, and he himself is God. And so now that Christ has come, he's called us into a job to join him in this priestly work. See, we're being built together as a home, a home of priests that are offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, do you realize what that means? What that means is that because you're saved, and because Christ has saved you by His grace, you don't need a degree to serve God. You don't need a title to serve God. 
you don't even need special certification to serve God. You have all you need to serve God and help other people love God as well, simply through the fact that you have been moved from death to life by your faith in Christ. You have been given a job, which is to offer acceptable worship to God and help others do the same. So, if we have been made into a spiritual house, if in this house lives a priesthood of believers offering sacrifices to God, I think we would all be wise to try and figure out what is an acceptable sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. So let me try and help. What are spiritual sacrifices? Again, playing off of the Old Testament, you could bring an ox to to the temple to be slaughtered on behalf of of your sacrifice. That's like as big as you get, okay? A massive ox. Or you could bring a dove. Even smaller than that, you could bring wheat or barley. And, And so what we saw in the Old Testament is that there were spiritual sacrifices that ranged in massive size and scale, and then some that were tiny and small, all of which were worship, worship and served their place in obedience to God. And so our spiritual sacrifices, catch this church, our spiritual sacrifices are any action or attitude offered to God in obedience. Whether it be to better our lives in, in, in obedience to Christ or in, the, in, in helping others. So let me try and give some examples from my own life that I think are spiritual sacrifices. I try and get up in the mornings and read the scriptures to fill my soul with the life-giving Word of God. That's a spiritual sacrifice offered to God, acceptable through my faith in Jesus, okay? I also try and encourage our church So I'm trying to not only help my own faith, but I'm trying to encourage our church and and see how they're doing in their Bible reading. Um, On Friday mornings, most mornings, I show up to meet Gage, who's running our audio and visual table back there with Taryn. Um, Some mornings I sleep in because 7 a.m. for some reason comes early on a Friday. Um, But but we get up and we study scripture together. We talk about life together. That's that's me offering I'm growing in my faith with the community of believers and Gage is growing in his. And so we're offering that up to the Lord as acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, And I try to share the gospel and I try to pray for our church. All of these things, they're acts of obedience or an attitude in obedience to God, all of which is worship when it's done through faith in Jesus Christ. So... What I think is so essential about this is that, brothers and sisters, anything you do, no matter how big or how small, whether it's an ox or whether it's wheat and barley, when it comes to serving God and helping others serve God, it is a part of our job description of being a spiritual house and a priesthood of believers, right? And then it says, so so we've defined what is a spiritual sacrifice? any action or attitude in obedience to God through faith in Christ, okay? So it's a big definition. We're going to get to why that's important later, okay? Um, But then it says that these spiritual sacrifices should be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So that means there's unacceptable offerings. What? (laughs) Again, if our job is to be acting on behalf of, or acting towards serving God and acting as a priest on His behalf, 
then we ought to know what we should do and we ought to know what is wrong to do. So we've defined what, what a spiritual sacrifice is. Now let's talk about what is unacceptable. Okay? So something that is not acceptable or something that's acceptable is appropriate or fitting or right. There are right ways to worship God and there are wrong ways. Praise God that he tells us. If you want to know how miserable it is to know that you must please a God in order to spend eternity with him and then have no clue what pleases that God, choose any other religion in the world besides Christianity. Because in the in God the Father, the Son, or the, in God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has spoken. He speaks to us through His holy and perfect inspired Word. We now know what God is asking and required of humanity. Other gods, you have to take a guess at what pleases them, but not with our God. And so our actions are to God through Christ, meaning that if you are in Christ, no matter what you do for God, if you are in Christ, everything you do for God has purpose. On the flip side, if you are not in Christ, everything you do, quote unquote, for God is in vain. You want to know why? Because it's not traveling down the interstate of faith in Christ Jesus. And so it's a dead-end road. All of your good deeds, all of your charitable donations, all of your um, community service, all of your help in the food kitchen, all of the everything that you try and do good in this world, if it is not through faith in Christ, it is not acceptable to God, and therefore it is in vain. I'm not saying that, that that's not a good thing to do, but what I'm saying is that it does not earn you anything with God because you can't earn it. It's a gift of faith that then once we have faith in Christ, we then respond with our gratefulness in a completely changed and transformed life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Flip side, again, if you're in Christ though, everything you do can be worship. How amazing is it that for the Christian, you can show up on time to work with a good attitude, ready to do a good job, and that is pleasing to the God. So many of us think that when we show up to work that we're just making a rich man richer or that there's really no purpose to our job. Well, I, I don't know what job you have, but I know that the God that you have is with you in that. And when you show up and when you do a good job and, and all these mundane things that we don't think are important, they're important. And they are worship to God and they please God. How miserable and heartbreaking it is to me to think that you could spend over 40 hours a week doing something that you don't think is important. Friend, every second you spend in service and obedience to God is worship. So my argument with, to you would be that you spend more time worshiping and honoring God than you do sinning. And I think most of us, if I were to say, how many of you have sinned more today than you did be obedient to God? I think most of our hands would go up. And friends, that's just not true. Now, if you're, if you're living in sin and struggling, I'm not trying to take that weight off of you. You need to repent, okay? But just because you're not on your knees all day long reading the Bible doesn't mean you're not worshiping the Lord. Spending time with your families, going to work, 
working out at the gym, spending time in your home, updating things, whatever it is that you spend your time with, if it's an action or attitude that is an obedience to God through your faith in Christ, it's worship. It's important to know that that God is pleased with every part of our life if we're simply in obedience to Him. Let us remember, church, that as we collectively come to Christ again and again, we are being built up into a spiritual house with a holy priesthood so that we can faithfully serve and obey God and help others do the same. As we move on, so we've, we've discussed that we are a spiritual house and that we're a holy priesthood and that we have a purpose in, in obeying God and helping others obey God as well. And now we move into verse 6. And it says, For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. To shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving... The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone, of, a, a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Now, before I give you my fancy point, it's not fancy, that summarizes this, these three verses, when you see the text of Scripture repeat something, there's always a purpose. Six different times in three verses, there's a mention of rock or stone or cornerstone. That's cluing you in to whatever it's repeating is incredibly important. This cornerstone in three verses, six mentions, it's talking about Jesus. And here is what Peter is making incredibly clear, is that the church's cornerstone is Christ. Now, why is this, why does that even matter? What, what, what is a cornerstone? Let's, let's take a, a trip back in our mind's eye to um, somewhere around 70 to 85 AD in Asia Minor, okay? So we're all there. We're all like 2,000 years back in history. Now let's go into our architecture 101 class, okay? And what we would learn in Architecture 101 in Asia Minor sometime around 70 to 85 AD is that there is this thing called a cornerstone, and it's essential as a building block for whatever building you want to build, and if you remove it, the entire thing comes tumbling down, okay? Now we've officially passed Architecture 101 in AD 70 to 85 in Asia Minor. That's what's so important. Six different times it references a rock or stone or cornerstone, and it, and it finds its identity, this stone, in Jesus Christ. So it says, I'm cheating, I'm going back up to our last passage, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. So he tells you that everything you do in obedience to God must be through Christ, and then he says, why? Because it stands in Scripture. I'm laying a stone in Zion— And all who believe in him will never be put to shame. So church, what we can know is that as long as we put our belief in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, no matter what trials come, our church will never face shame because we have stood faithfully on Christ, our cornerstone Doesn't mean we won't have humiliating experiences. Doesn't mean that people might not talk bad about us. But it means that we are never to be ashamed 
of ourselves, for we have been faithful to stand on Christ, the cornerstone. And so I've said this a few times, and I'm going to say it again today. This church, this is the reason why we sing songs about Jesus. This is why when I open the scriptures, we're going to talk about Jesus and how he fulfills whatever it is that we've read. And then when we're done hearing about God's faithfulness in the scriptures and what Christ has done, then we're going to sing again and praise Jesus for what he's done on the cross for us because Christ is the cornerstone. Six times in three verses, we are commanded to see that everything hinges in eternity and in this life on Christ and Christ alone. So church, we, as Outfitter Church, we will always declare the praises and build our church upon the truth of Jesus Christ until the day we go to see him face to face in heaven. What an encouraging word to the church that we will never be put to shame as long as we base our church's life and our lives on Christ. Verse 7, though, is a very different reality. Read with me. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. In verse 8, a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. So the church's cornerstone is Christ, and, and we're individual members of that church. So Christ is the cornerstone of our church collectively and the cornerstone of each individual member's lives. And so what this means is that if Christ is not the cornerstone of your life, you do not have a life that's full of meaning and purpose because you are missing the essential building block. Can I just tell you that the only way to a life of meaning and purpose is through putting Christ as the cornerstone of your life? The only way. Some of you are in here tonight and you don't, you've not put your faith in Jesus. Not yet. This is for you. I'm glad you're here. I want you wrestling with the hard questions about life. I want you here. But I've got to be honest with you that the only way of escaping the coming condemnation and punishment for rejecting this stone is Christ. And let me say this clearly. Your rejection of Christ the Savior does not change the truth that He is in fact the Savior. Your rejection of truth doesn't change the truth. Therefore, I today am begging you to reconsider your choice to reject Christ. I too once believed that I could do life without Christ. Every single Christian in this room once believed that we didn't have to have Christ. And yet now we would never go back. Your rejection of Christ the cornerstone means that your life on earth will never find its fulfillment and your eternity will not be full of joy and hope with God, but rather it will be filled with misery and torment in hell forever. Our world would tell me that, that what I just told you is rude, insensitive, and intolerant and unloving. 
But friends, if I know with absolute certainty the doom and fate that you are on the path towards, that is the most loving thing I could possibly do than to beg you to reconsider your choice because your rejection doesn't change the truth. And so as we continue preaching through the next passage of Scripture, if you're in this room tonight and you've not yet put your faith in Christ, I really want you to consider Are you sure that's the road you want to go down? As we move on, we read in verses 9 and 10. It says, but you, so we switch back, okay? We're we're back to the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're, we're switching gears away from Peter makes a very, very strong declaration to those who don't believe in Christ, and he warns them of the coming doom and punishment, but then he switches the gear. So we're switching gears back. He says, but you, and then he discusses the identity and the, and the purpose of the church. What we see very clearly that, that Peter is making Uh, The point Peter is making here in verses 9 and 10 is that the church is a chosen people proclaiming God's praises. That's who we are. We are a chosen people proclaiming God's praises. And and as I read uh, about those, as I I read through that passage, it made me think of the movie um, Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg. Have have any of you seen that, that movie? Kids, I, I can't remember everything that's in it, but I believe that I've, I endorse that movie. It's a good quality show to watch, okay? Um, but it's, a, it's about this family that, that fosters and adopts these three children. Uh, one of them's a teenager, and then the rest of them are uh, just young kids. And these kids are super standoffish and super disrespectful and super stubborn. <laughs> and, 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 and because... They've, all they've ever experienced is a broken home. And they've been passed around from foster care to foster care. And as, as I look through the room, I'm, I'm looking at some of my friends in here, and I know that you've been through the adoption journey. You've been through the fostering children journey. And you can relate first. You don't need instant family. You've lived out that script. And, and then for some of us that are in the room, it, it doesn't really take rocket science to understand how difficult that would be. That when everything you've ever known and the one thing that God created that was supposed to be incredibly safe for you gets turned upside down and is not safe, it's really hard to find security and to find trust and to find joy. And so that's what that, that movie, Instant Family, it, it, my gosh, it's a good movie. But, but it made me think that, that that had to be what the audience that Peter was writing to was feeling like. They, they loved Christ. They came to Christ in Jerusalem, most likely. And then throughout persecution and, and throughout all these things, they had to leave their homes, they had to leave their jobs, and they had to flee so that they didn't die. And now they're spread out as exiles in a different continent, not knowing what's going on. 
Everything they've ever had has been flipped upside down. All their safe security is gone and out the window. Now in light of that, in light of thinking of how insecure and how unsafe and how unstable you feel that your life would be, hear these words. You are chosen. You're in the royal family. You're a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. God adopted you. Could you imagine how comforting that is to hear? That when everything around you is unstable and insecure, the word of our Father to us, you're chosen. Outfitter Church was not just sitting around going, man, we're so amazing. We'd change the city of Bar None overnight if God would just see it. No. <laughs> no. Okay, you'd need a different pastor for any of that to be true. We, we didn't come up with that idea. God chose us. It was God's idea to bring us to this city. It was God's idea to do what he's doing. And it's God's idea to make us a people. It's up to him. <laughs> yeah, we, we weren't just sitting around waiting for God to notice our greatness, okay? Um, that's how it applies to our church is that if anything good ever comes out of bar none, which by the way, we, we've seen four professions of faith. Uh, we have two more baptisms next week. Uh, we've seen God doing great things. We're, God's moving. None of that was because we're great. It's because we as imperfect and insecure and broken and, and scared people have a God that tells us you're chosen, you're in the royal family, you're a holy nation, and you are mine. Praise the Lord for that. And think also about how this applies individually to you. God chose you. Sometimes due to our sin, and then I think this is something we always forget about. We, we bash people's sin, but, but here over the last several months, God's really been opening up my eyes. Sometimes it's other people's sin that's been done to us. I'm not saying play the victim card, okay? Every single person will stand and answer before God for what they have done, not what everyone else has done to them. So we do have personal accountability for our sin to God, but it has been brought to my attention through getting to see other people's lives. Sometimes it's the sins that others have done to us that really did put us in a situation of making some toxic decisions. Where I'm not saying play the victim card is, is that Christ gives you through his power to come out of that sin. Regardless of what people do to you, you have the ability to be broken free from the chains of slavery and pain. So church, I, that's God's word to us is that we're not special. We didn't get to bar none by our greatness, but only by God's. And so think again about how this does apply to you individually. You've been chosen. You're a holy nation. You're part of the royal family and God has adopted you as his own. Now, as a result of that, we must individually and together as a church proclaim or declare and announce the praises of God who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter continues to drive this point home one final time. He says, once you were not a people. 
You weren't a people of any kind. You didn't belong to anybody. Now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. How tender and gracious of God to take a people that had rejected him and were not bringing acceptable worship to him, yet instead of punishing them for their sin and their rejection of Christ the cornerstone, his wrath was poured out on Christ the cornerstone in his death, and and the path to forgiveness is paved in the resurrection of him from the dead. And so church, as we continually come to Christ again and again, we are being built into a spiritual house We're offering spiritual sacrifices, obedience to God through faith in Christ. We must never take Christ out of the equation, for in the moment that we do, everything we have will fall and crumble without the cornerstone. And lastly, we are to be reminded that all of this is done by the grace of God. He adopts us, He calls us His own, and He gives us a family, in all of which we are undeserving recipients of His gracious grace. Now, we're about to sing a song that we introduced last week called Glorious Day. And oh, I'm going I'm to be hyped up when we sing this song, okay? So church, you just heard a message that Christ is the cornerstone of our church, of your lives. Without him, we fall and crumble. And all of that was given to us by his grace. Now we're going to sing a song that says that when he called our names, we came out of that grave, out of our darkness and into his glorious day. Okay? So I don't know how you like to sing, but I want to hear you shout. When we sing these words, you just heard the word of God and what he's done for us. I want us to shout. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to worship. Maybe you genuinely need to just sit down and let the words flow over you and minister to you. But whatever it is, I want us to think of what we've just heard. And then I want us to shoot that back up to God in worship. That when he called our name, we came out of the grave, out of our darkness and into his glorious day. So I'm going to ask our band to come on up and to prepare to help us to respond with that song. But before we do that, if you're a non-Christian, if you're in the room, you're not a Christian, or maybe you label, I don't know what you'd label yourself, but you haven't yet turned away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, I want to come back to that, to that question I asked you earlier. I asked you to consider changing your mind and turning away from your unbelief and converting to follow Christ, the cornerstone. You've heard all about him tonight. He is the cornerstone. He is the one who died, and in his death he took the wrath for your sins. And he was raised from the dead, and in his raising of the dead, he now, as God, can offer forgiveness and offer you life. And so will you accept that? If you're ready to turn away from your sin and follow Christ, the cornerstone, And what we're going to do is we're going to declare some truth in what we call prayer to God. And I'm going to declare some truths. And if this is what you want, if you say, Tyler, God has spoken tonight. And I want to come out of that grave and I want to go into the marvelous light. If that's you, then I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes.
If you're ready to turn from your sin and come to Christ, I ask you to to repeat this to yourself after me. God, you are holy. You are patient. Until today, I have rejected you. But today I change my mind. I believe Christ is the cornerstone. I believe that without him, my life falls apart. I ask you to build me into your spiritual house. To bring me to this priesthood. I want Christ as my cornerstone. I want to be a a part of this faith family. I want to proclaim your praises. Thank you for sending Christ to die for my sins and for raising him from the dead, giving me chance at life. My life is yours, God. Do with it what you want. Save me and make me clean. I will follow you forever. Now, if you prayed that, I'm going to ask you to to put your name on one of those connection cards and to check that top box that says you received Christ or you decided to follow Jesus today. I'll give you a call this week and follow up with you and help you in your new faith. Now, let me pray for our church. Father, forgive us when we don't put Christ as the cornerstone of our life and of our church. Give us your grace, God, to be a chosen people proclaiming your praises in bar none and all over Casper. God, we love you. (laughs) And Lord, we are looking forward to praising you and singing about how you called us out of the grave and into your glorious day. In Jesus' name. Amen.